This story series has been very refreshing for me. I, I don't know how you've experienced it, but there are a lot of great stories in the Bible that I have uh, neglected, forgotten about, wished I had spent more time with, and begun to see in a different light. You know, one of the challenges when we read scripture lessons is we anticipate they'll be the same as they were when we first read them. And sometimes we expect it to say to us exactly what it said before. But the power of scripture, the power of the stories that God has passed on to us is with each hearing in our lifetime, we come to hear what we need in that moment. We come to hear if we're willing to let God speak, if we're willing to set aside our foregone conclusions. Today's story is exactly about that. Uh, last week we left off in Luke. Jesus had come back from his temptations in, uh, in the wilderness. Uh, and, uh, well, he was, it ended at the end of his wilderness uh, adventure. We pick up with, um, we pick up with him coming back home. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and his reputation spread throughout the region. He was teaching in the Galilean synagogues, and all were loud in their praise. Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. Entering the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his habit, Jesus stood up to do the reading. When the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, he unrolled the scroll and found the passage where it was written, The Spirit of our God is upon me, because the Most High has anointed me to bring good news to those who are poor. God has sent me to proclaim liberty to those held captive, recovery of sight to those who are blind, and release to those in prison, to proclaim the year of God's favor. Rolling up the scroll, Jesus gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he said to them, today, in your hearing, this scripture passage is fulfilled. All who were present spoke favorably of him. They marveled at the eloquence of the words on Jesus' lips. They said, surely, this isn't Mary and Joseph's son. This is the gospel reading for this morning. Praise be to God. Surely, this isn't Mary and Joseph's son. You know, there's a wonderful saying, and I, I have a love-hate relationship with, that you can never go home. Now, if I were going to interpret that phrase, it would be, the home you go to, the place that you grew up, will never be the home it was when you were there. You can't go back there. Not as the same person you were then. My wife and children will attest to the fact that when we would go home in the 90s, when the children were very small, and into the early 2000s, when we would go to, to visit my parents, usually around Thanksgiving or Christmas, and it was always some kind of trade-off, that 
sometimes in those days I became a different person. It wasn't that mom and dad put any pressure on me, but somehow walking into that house brought out the entertainer in me. The always had uh, to be the funny one or the loudest one, much to the chagrin of my younger brother and younger sister. Uh, I always wanted to be the center of attention. It's, it seems to be that I was the party, and the party couldn't happen without me. And so, uh, you know, my brother and sister and I could quote from the Brady Bunch. You know, we used to watch the Brady Bunch as children. Tom and Ellen, my brother and sister, could quote it verbatim. But we could quote from all of these movie lines and sing bizarre songs and be hilarious and not always real. Trying to be those kids we had been before we left that house. Now the good news is when I go and visit my parents and just a week and a half ago I went down because I did mom and dad's taxes, Linda and I helped them with a couple of things, so I went down to visit um, on Thursday and Friday afternoon. And while we were down there doing those kinds of things, those kinds of visits at home are different now. Uh, and the reason they're different now is because uh, mom and dad have matured. Uh, it, that's a way of saying they've, they've gotten gracefully older. And, and I believe I've matured. And I no longer want to be the person that I was in high school uh, before I left the house. Or even the guy who tried to entertain everyone, you know, when we went home, Linda, Hannah, and Josh and I, in the 90s. I'm, I'm me now. And the me that I have found, I'm comfortable with. And mom and dad seem to be okay with it, too. Uh, they're watching now, I suspect, so they'll, they'll let me know. They'll let me know whether the me I've become is the me they hoped I would be. Uh, but the truth is, so often, everyone's idea of us in our hometown is shaped by who we were, what we were at one time, the way we acted when we were 17. And Jesus has the same problem when he goes home. Surely this can't be Mary and Joseph's son. He talks like he knows something. He talks like he's... Got a connection to the eternal. What makes him think he deserves that kind of connection? How is he any better than any of the rest of us? Who is he to talk about this being fulfilled, this scripture passage from Isaiah being fulfilled in our hearing today? Yes, he says it with power. But if indeed this is just Mary and Joseph's son, he's a little tiny bit uppity. A little bit too big for his britches. Now, you and I are horrified to talk about Jesus that way. I mean, this is Jesus, the son of the living God. But in his hometown, he was just Jesus. Probably Yeshua, uh, which means salvation. Jesus is the Greek form of his name. His name in Hebrew would have been Joshua. Yeshua. There's no J sound in Hebrew. Uh, and it means salvation. But people didn't think of him as salvation. They thought of him as Jesus, the carpenter's son, Mary's son. 
Remember that time when he was running around the square and playing? Who does he think he is talking to us about the fulfillment of Isaiah the prophet? Proclaiming good news for the poor and release for the captives and recovery of sight for the blind. To proclaim the day of the Lord's favor. Who was he to proclaim it? My life did not change from the beginning of his reading to the end. I'm not suddenly free. All of my debts haven't disappeared. Because the year of the Lord's favor was the year that was called in, in, in the tradition of the Hebrew scripture, the year of the Jubilee. If you owed somebody money, it was forgiven. If you uh, were enslaved uh, by your neighbor, if you'd sold yourself into slavery uh, or a member of your family into slavery so you could make ends meet, you were set free. Everything was set back right in the year of the Jubilee. That was the intent. And Jesus came to proclaim the year of Jubilee. There aren't any debts. You don't owe anybody anything. Be you. Like I'm me, Jesus says. Remember last week we talked about how in the wilderness Jesus went there to discover who he really was. I talked about something that I think is absolutely true about Jesus. People think he was handed son of godness on a silver platter and he just had to walk around and display it everywhere. I think he had to work hard at it. Why would he spend every morning in prayer? Why would he make it his habit to go to synagogue? Didn't he already know everything he needed to know? Why would he go to synagogue? This text told us he had a habit of going. He regularly worshipped the way his people worshipped. He was a good Jewish boy. Why would he do that if he already had arrived? Because he had to practice. You know, I can still remember that they didn't teach this really in my... I was United Methodist, grew up Methodist and then United Methodist when we became united. and We didn't ever talk about the whole once saved, always saved. My Baptist friends told me about that. Once you said the sinner's prayer once, you were covered. Didn't matter who you killed or what you did, you were covered. Just had to say the, season, the sinner's prayer once. Jesus, come into my heart. And that's all that it took. I personally think that if you want to follow in the way of Jesus, you've got to give it away every day. You've got to give it your effort, your full bodily effort every single day. And Jesus modeled that. Why else do you go into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, a long time, and fast and face all the challenges that every single one of us does? Why do you do that if you too don't have to practice being Jesus? You know, in the 90s, heck, in the 2000s and maybe even into the early 2000s and teens, I didn't practice being James very well. If you've been coming to St. James long enough, you can remember the days when in the middle of a sermon, I would jump on top of the chairs. I would dance around. You, you never knew what was going to happen when you came to church on Sunday. Sometimes it was like, we got to go to see what's going to happen this Sunday. J James might jump on a chair. He might do a cartwheel and break an arm because if I tried to do a cartwheel, that's what I do. But let's go find out. 
He might do a debate kind of sermon with Matthew Hayes. You never know what was going to happen from Sunday to Sunday. What video clip I might show, what was going to happen. And that's what I thought I was supposed to do. Now I don't worry about what I think I'm supposed to do. I try to be me. The sermons that happen on Sunday morning now, I work on them all week long. They are not off the cuff. I spend the entire week with the text struggling, thinking, praying, wondering, questioning, trusting that if God has something to say in me, it will happen. And by the end of the week, something comes up. But when I talk to you on Sunday morning now, it is coming from somewhere deep within. Somewhere I've learned to trust that God is with me. Maybe it's my Jamesness. I don't feel like I have to entertain you anymore. You don't come to church. You don't need to be entertained. Heck, you've got 9,950,000 different channels on your TV. And if you have Sirius XM radio, there's many channels on the radio and podcasts and books you can listen to on tape or that you can read. You've got more entertainment than you know what to do with. You don't need entertainment on Sunday morning. You need straight shooting. You need somebody who comes in and says, you know, I don't got it all together, but I keep trying every day. I'm going to do my best to walk this path. And when I come here on Sunday morning, I'm going to tell you what I did this week that helped me walk the path or that made me drop the ball. I'm not proud of the dropping the ball moments. And in truth, I don't want to be proud of the moments when I, when I came through, when I was all that. Because just as quickly as you get proud, you trip and fall flat on your face. And God loves you anyway. I trip maybe more often than I succeed. And I am fortunate to be surrounded by people who love me, who help pick me up. And I'm fortunate to serve a God who loves me, not in spite of when I trip, but because of my vulnerabilities, because of my mistakes, because I'm willing to get back up. And when I'm not willing to get back up, because I have people who help me back up. People who say, come on, James. Rub some dirt in it. Get back up. Actually, no one says rub some dirt in it. Get back up. It's hard to come home. It's hard to come home, especially if everyone expects you to be the same person you always were. Because if you're really growing, if you're really following in the path of Jesus, you're not the same person you were when you were 18. Or for some of us, when we were three. Uh, some of us haven't reached 18 yet. You know, uh, we're not going to be that person. Hopefully we've shed some of the layers that we put on that were pretense. I don't want to be the life of the party all the time. Heck, I go to parties and the last thing people say about me most of the time is that I'm the life of the party. Man, he's all that brooding thing going on over there. He's just being quiet. Why doesn't he sing a song or quote a movie or something? That's not me anymore. I don't have to do that because that wasn't necessarily me. It's what I thought I had to be. 
How many of you are caught up being who you thought you had to be? Jesus went in the wilderness and broke that shell and came back and was somebody, nobody, this, surely this can't be Mary and Joseph's son. Surely. Surely. Sure doesn't talk like it. Doesn't. He speaks with an authority that comes from somewhere deep within. I hope each one of you is on this path of growth. I can't be on it for you. I'm on it. I, I think I'm on it. Sometimes I'm not sure I'm on it. Um, I'm on it. And I can tell you a little bit about it. But the truth is, you've got to work it. You've got to find the way you connect with God. And you've got to live that connection. I can't live it for you. I don't care how much you pay me to be your pastor. I can't be your connection to God. The best I've got is I can share with you mine. And if it helps you, great. And if it doesn't, obviously it's time to fire me and get somebody else new. Who might help you on the path. Sometimes I wander off the path. And I'm fortunate that some of you bring me back on. Sometimes you wander off the path. And hopefully I and others will help bring you back on the path. But the truth is, each of us must practice what we preach. We must practice. If we're going to talk the talk, we need to walk the walk. I wonder if sometimes in my earlier life I didn't talk a good talk without always walking it. Most Sundays that I preach these days, you're well aware I'm struggling to walk the walk. I'm trying. I'm tripping. You're helping me back, and we keep going at it. I hope for you the exact same thing. Now, I loved the image that Mark Hayes picked for us this week as we worked together. Look at this picture. After the wilderness, Jesus comes home. This may have been, this is maybe what an early first century house would have looked like, probably with a roof, and it would have looked a little bit newer. You know, it's been 2,000 years, come on. You, know, you expect some decay. Although, it's hung around a lot longer than I think my house will hang around. In 2,000 years, there won't be any house there anymore. I don't know what will be there. But. And I loved this image that Mark picked for us because I don't know where those stairs go. I don't know always what the next step is or what's around the corner. But I know the only way I'm going to find out is if I take a step after step after step. If I practice and I pray, and I read scripture, and I talk to God, and I take walks with God, and I treat my neighbors with kindness. I love my neighbors myself, and I learn to love God. As I take those steps up and go around this corner, I don't know what's on the path, but I trust that God's on the path with me. And I'm excited to be on the steps, not knowing what comes ahead, knowing what's gone behind, but being right here, on this step, right now. 
Let that image sit with you. Let that image of the stairs going to a place you don't know be the image for your own life. You have no idea what beautiful unfolding God has for you yet to come. You don't. And if you did, and you knew the steps it was going to take to get there, you might never get there, because you might avoid some of the steps because they're uncomfortable. Speaking from personal experience, some of the steps on this journey that I've made, I would just as soon, if God had told me they were going to happen in advance, I would have gone a different way. And I would have missed it. Because I'm pain averse, probably like many of you. So, one step at a time, one moment at a time, each now and here, be there and live into it. Because God's in those steps. God's in those moments. God's in you. You are infinitely precious and unconditionally loved just because you're you. Just because. I don't get God. But God gets me. And maybe that's enough. And God gets you too. One of the things we do is to pray. I don't know if we have any special prayer requests that have come in. Linda is going to look. We're going to pray for Tracy. Tracy's got surgery tomorrow on his ankle. Uh, Tracy has had an adventure uh, over the last several years. Uh, we prayed for Tracy. It's the same Tracy we were praying for because of his, he had uh, a long ablation, had to go to Pennsylvania for the kind of ablation that they do on his heart. We'd like to believe that his heart is in better shape now and that he's moving forward. But before he could have his ankle uh, operated on, surgery to repair some damage there, he had to get the heart thing taken care of because the heart is a little bit more than, than the ankle. Kind of want to get those two together. So I want us to be in prayer for Tracy. I want us to continue to be in prayer for James, Megan, and Galen as they're making a new transition in their lives. I want us to pray and trust that wherever the stairs are leading for St. James, that if we're faithful and take the steps one at a time, trusting God will be with us on each of those steps that wherever we're going, there God will be. God will be there even if we're going in the wrong direction because God is always with us. But I'd kind of like for us to go the way God wants us to go. So if you look at us a couple of the next couple of weeks, couple of months, and we're trying different things and different things happen in worship than you're used to, and we don't sing songs anymore, or at least not immediately, or until we figure that whole thing out, we hope that you will ride with us on this adventure. And so we, uh, we will pray for God's guidance. There are a lot of big other things that are happening in the world. I'm hesitant sometimes to read my Facebook feed. I only look for the good things, but inevitably I come across the bad things. And I certainly want us to hold the people of Ukraine in our hearts. Um, I know the reading that I had today for us was about how uh, Vladimir Putin must just be ignorant or unaware 
that no one who is truly aware would sin. And I think that that is true. It rings true deep inside of me, but I can't help but have evil thoughts. So I'm working on it, working on it. I want us to pray for the people of uh, the Ukraine and for everyone who is facing challenges in this world, knowing that God cares infinitely for us all. We'll begin in a moment of silent prayer. I'll pray aloud for us, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together, a version of which will be on the screen, but you can pray any version you want to, or no version at all. Let's pray together. Here we are, Lord, in this moment before you. This moment is all we have. You've got all of time, before and after us, but we only have now. As we stand, sit, kneel, lay down wherever we are, whatever we're doing with you, we put ourselves intentionally in our hearts and minds, in your hands. It's probably really all you ask of us, is that we put ourselves trustingly into your hands. Thank you for your eternal and gracious love that surrounds us. Thank you for being you, for the witness of your son, who stood up, as hard as it might have been, even in his hometown, because he knew you. And we want to stand up because we know you, too. Help us with each successive step that we take on the stairs to an unknown future, knowing you walk with us. We pray for Tracy's surgery tomorrow. We pray for James, Megan, and Galen and their transitions. We pray for all those who are struggling still with COVID and other kinds of challenges in our world. We pray for guidance in our own lives and courage to be your people, to practice our faith in real ways, knowing that you love us even when we fail. We pray for the people of Ukraine. Our heart goes out to the brokenness that they experience now, the hunger and devastation of war. There is no pretty face to be put on such a thing. Be with them and with us as we seek to be your people, and we ask it in the name of Jesus, your son, using the prayer that he modeled for us. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.